first time we've had Meatloaf on the podcast. Yeah, well, he died. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) We only have dead people? Is that the the programming note? I mean, uh, we need to honor the dead. Like our portfolios. Maybe we should honor our portfolios at the end. (laughs) This is the perfect time for it. Welcome, everybody, to episode 89 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walter Pysik and Rich Greenfield. Yes. Would either of you recognize the name Robert Paulson? Should I? Robert Paulson. Uh, um, Hank Paulson? Robert was the (laughs) character that um, Meatloaf played in uh, Fight Club. And Robert Paulson was a former bodybuilder and he was the creator of a chest expansion program, if you might remember. But due to his excessive use of steroids... What do you mean by chest expansion? Chest expansion. But due to his... For men to work out, but due to his excessive use of steroids, he got testicular cancer and then he had his testicles removed and due to hormone imbalance... Oh. He developed okay, this is this story is not really trending so well, but okay, keep going. I'm just well, saying this this was the character on Fight Club. So we're honoring Meatloaf. <laughs> remember, that was a great character on Fight Club. He was like okay. the big guy who was the former bodybuilder that ended up taking hormone therapy. And anyway, well, Meatloaf was Meatloaf a go. Meatloaf was a different type of big guy, I guess, if you will. I it's funny. Jared Dicker texted me this morning and he said, Meatloaf was a man with the voice of Freddie Mercury and the looks of Chris Farley. A big <laughs> man indeed. <laughs> and he's probably partying with Chris Farley somewhere in the metaverse, okay. ethosphere, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> the heaven verse. <laughs> the heaven verse, yeah. And if for our viewers, if you'd like to go watch Walt's movie Fight Club, it is streaming on Amazon Prime Video tonight. Yes, nice. notice not on Netflix. Rich, yes. I, I I actually have a song that I wrote for Rich. Okay, um, it's is it a is it a meatloaf? It's is a it meatloaf, meatloaf song. Tune? Does oh. it have a meatloaf tune? To Walt, it? Walt, you're gonna ca- you're gonna catch on to this, so I want you to sing it with okay. me. I would do anything mm-hmm. for Rich. Rich. But I won't, won't buy, buy Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is getting ugly and we're just getting started. It's just beginning. You know, I'm still in a bad mood about my fruit. So, you know, <laughs> oh, I thought it was your crypto portfolio. <laughs> it's my uh, everything portfolio, Rich. It's all dead. But, you know, we laugh Rich, a lot. Netflix taking a big hit today, though. You're kind of the known bull on this thing. Yeah. What well, say let's, you? Let's let's jump into it. I yeah. I think that's our first slide. So it is. Uh, you know, I mean, so Netflix raised price right after our podcast last week. Um, they raised price by eleven percent in the U.S. and Canada, which is that's what we're plan. that's what we're starting with. <laughs> well, no, because I think it. You know, it sort of the leads into they raise price mm-hmm. and. Uh-huh. And then subscribers, obviously, for Q1, the forecast is obviously well below what investors were expecting. Stock is down, as I read this down, 24%. Um, it is. What is what, can I ask you a question before you go to the next yeah. tweet? 
how did the stock react when they we shouldn't even price? we shouldn't even go to the next tweet yet because there's plenty to discuss on this one right so, so what, what 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 did the stock react positively or negatively when they increased price because it can be perceived as oh this is great leveraging the base and they suckered people into buying the stock right before they delivered the a quarter that took the stock went, down 100 bucks. The stock only or, went up a little bit. It only went up a little bit. It actually did not jump the way you would have expected it to on such a big price well, increase. Well, I wouldn't expect it to. I was going to finish my sentence is, is in that the second interpretation of that could be that they can't, there's no unit growth left and that they have to increase price to drive revenue. So I was just curious how the market initially reacted. It sounds like it was kind of a non-reaction the first time around. Yeah, it went up a little bit. I mean, I think the, the issue is, is, you know, I don't think Brandon and I have ever thought that there was a tremendous amount of unit growth left in the US or Canada, just knowing that they're past 70 million subscribers. I mean, there's probably 10 million subs that'll take time to get uh, between those two markets. So raising price in the US makes a ton of sense. And I think I don't actually- Let's be clear. The US is a pretty mature market. It is. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Whether you're long or short Netflix, I think you would pretty much agree that now is the time to be taking price in the U.S. because growth is mature. The question is not about the U.S. And I don't think the stock is I don't think the U.S. market has anything to do with why the stock is down 25 percent. I think the question is, given that they only have 33 million subs across all of Asia and 70 plus in Europe, why is growth not faster? And that's a question that Netflix has faced. You know, I'm guessing, Brandon, we've been maybe not down 25, but we've had certainly down high teens multiple times in looking at the stock There's, over the last five years. This is the biggest sell-off since Quickster. I, th- I think of this stock. When you I, say, I w- go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. Continue. No, I. There have been complaints about me cutting other people off. So <laughs> but I was just... cutting you off then. But I was. <laughs> I, it was a late mental trigger yeah. on. Um, when Rich said Asia, because I feel like that was a euphemism for India, and you're hiding the fact that um, it is okay. So let's call it. It's India. So the concept of building a business in a market where, in my experience, in telco world, it's what like a dollar, two dollar arpus. So is the bull thesis that you have to grow in India? Forget about subs, units. Like you're, that's where they're going to grow revenue and profitability in India. No, I mean like. Korea, just as an example, Korea, they probably have around 5 million subscribers. I think there's 22 million high quality, super high speed broadband homes okay. in Korea. Uh, Japan has 45 million subs. I don't, maybe they have 10, I don't even think they have 10 million subs in Japan. They probably have high single digits. There's 45 to 50 million broadband subs in Japan. I mean, there's still very, very robust opportunity across Asia even excluding India. Now, India, I, you know, look, there's certainly going to be a lot more subs. I mean, Disney, just to be clear, and yes, Disney doesn't charge very much, but Disney has 44 million subscribers. Yeah. If they want to drop price to like well, they did the equivalent they of just 50, 50 cents. Okay. Or what? what's the ARPU um, in India? And by the way, all of the cricket rights, like the best sports rights are on, on Hotstar. And how much do they charge? They charge, well, Hotstar, for Disney Plus, the add-on to Hotstar. whatever. Yeah. The add-on. And how much is Hotstar even? But go on. I mean, it's a single-digit number. It's a small number. Yeah. You're talking about a substantially lower ARPU than than what Netflix has now, even with the lower price. In a market where I'm 
guessing password sharing is would be rampant. So it's a dollar across sure. how many actual subscriber equivalents. It's 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 not a slam dunk. And that's what the market's telling you. If you look at Netflix's business in this kind of like Western world, it's starting to take on the characteristics of when the cable network was networks business was a really good business, which is you could get ARPU growth of, I don't know, probably high-ish um, single digits. And then, you know, whatever little incremental subscriber growth that you could get. See, I, I totally disagree with that. I think that is completely false. I think when okay. you think about the fact that Europe has 70 million subs and over 200 million broadband homes, I think it's sort of the middle innings of when cable networks were both growing subs healthfully and growing pricing pretty meaningfully. It's just not a linear straight line. Like, yeah, we didn't know. Everyone was negative on Netflix in August because they were like, oh, the content sucks. There's nothing to watch. And then all of a sudden Squid Game explodes and everyone's like, oh, the content on Netflix is great. They have a massive yeah. breakout hit. Like, I just think oh, this I, is a stock I, where, where, where emotion takes over and we've seen very wide swings. It's always been a bet on Reed and in this case now Ted. But you're basically betting on the executive talent. And Greg. Yeah. And Greg too. Um, but it's, it, this has always been a bet on do you believe? I have a question, Rich. Yeah. Who's Reed? Uh, Ted. That one you can pass on. That one I'll give you Who's a pass Greg? on. Who's Greg? Go on. Sorry. But no, Sarando. Is... You, no, you should, you should say Ted Sarandos. But Reed, is, Reed, I'll give you the pass on a first name. This, isn't, one... this is no longer a bet on Reed, by the way. This is a bet on Ted at this point. Because content is going to drive this adoption. Sure. And it's just a matter of, do you believe that their content spend overseas is going to drive meaningfully more subscribers? The market today is saying they don't believe it, right? Like they think that they added 4 million yeah. subs last year in the first quarter. Dude. They're saying two and a half this year. So they're extrapolating and saying, instead of adding 18 million for the year, or even more north of 20, that they're going to add 15 or less. Like that's what the market's telling you. Is well, that this Rich, thing is sub we, we said the bar, right? On this podcast, you, yep. you said that the bar for Netflix for this year was 25 million subscribers. Like that was kind of the under over. Do you think there's any chance they get to 25 million subscribers? Can they get over 20? Sure. Can they get okay. 25? It's going to be but, hard. But that's a, that's a meaningful difference. Sure. First, first of all. Second of all, um, 8 million subscribers added in Q4. I know that was just a tad below the guidance, but only 8 million subscribers. Q4 is when they had that massive breakout hit in Squid Game. So along with the massive breakout hit, you, you had kind of a pedestrian Q4 relative to other years. Then you're coming out of it and you don't have the big hit. You're getting back to this sort of like, you know, not huge growth. And so you look at it and you say to yourself, what should, what did, what should this, a business with this kind of level of maturity, at least in certain parts of the world with pockets of upside, there's definite optionality here, trade for on a multiples basis, right? At and 389 for sure. Yeah. Well, at 389, it's trading in the probably the low thirties times earnings, right? Fundamentally, they might want to consider expanding their relationship beyond T-Mobile in the U.S. and look for other operators around the world that could limit their churn. Um, for sure, Verizon would be thrilled to have them as an additional subscription in their service. 
Walt, Walt always needs to kind of tie it. Tie I mean, it back. Verizon <laughs> has done great things for Disney. So like, why are you tying your, your, you know, everything into, into T-Mobile when you should just go to all operators and that's going to well, reduce your churn. Well, let's talk about Disney, right? Because that stock is down what five, five and a half percent today. And if you look at Disney, the reason the stock has sold off so much isn't really the market. It's because subscriber growth has also slowed. They have shown signs of also being a mature streaming company in especially these Western markets. I mean, the wobbly market, I think, is impacting all of these things. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's impacting stock prices. But if you look at the curve of subscriber growth, like it just stopped. And now you're you're talking about, you know, kind of the incumbents, right? Not not having great subscriber growth. And there they all, are they, they all pivoted to be Netflix. They all wanted to be Netflix. And now the question is, is the being incumbent. Netflix- I'm talking about the incumbents. OK, let's talk about competition. Right. Disney is one of those. You also I mean, we make fun of all of these other services in the U.S. Peacock, Paramount Plus, and that we don't make fun of HBO because we all like HBO. But those are also taking time away. Yeah, I mean, they don't really show up on the Comscore or Nielsen charts in any meaningful way, right? But for growth, but for gross ads and reactivations, I'll sure. give you, I'll give you an example. I mean, everyone knows that Brandon is watching Yellowstone now, which, by the way, season two is bananas. So good, I have to say it. Um, you're watching season two on Peacock. Yeah, I'm watching Peacock. Ask me when the last time is that I put on Netflix. Now, I don't know. Right. Like if I was someone who turned on and off of Netflix, I wouldn't have had to reactivate and become a gross ad. And they're talking about the gross ad problem. So maybe there is but some competition. They're not competition. talking about an engagement or churn problem. They're no, talking no, no. about a gross ad problem. They are talking about a gross ad, but yeah. at this point, gross ad is what? It's reactivation. It's not in the US, cut- but not overseas. That's that's bullshit. Okay, but, it is not. Okay. But he was talking about UCAN very specifically sure. a lot of the time. He was talking about LATAM also, yep. right? I mean, these these are markets with competitive services. That's part of it. I, I don't think it's not black and white. There isn't just kind of like one answer to this. I think there's a lot of different dynamics that are at work. Um, but this is a business showing signs of relative maturity. Which is why every analyst is capitulating and lowering their price targets by 300 points and downgrading the stock, even though the stock is now well below where those new price targets are. Well, I'm glad, glad you brought that up, Rich, because it did remind me of something back in the 2000 era. This is at the at the bubble because um, I was on my $400 treadmill, um, which I purchased, not a Peloton, this morning, New Year's resolution. And I was watching CNBC and I saw, listening to the podcast of The Economist, great podcast, second only um, to ours. And <laughs> Jim Cramer. Not as entertaining, that's for sure. Definitely not as entertaining. Um but Jim Cramer was up there and I saw him with penguins jumping off the icebergs. And then he showed the list of people that had lowered their price target on Netflix. And I remember those penguins because back in 2000, I was on that same list for, um, I think I downgraded Lucent 
at $50. And there was a host of analysts that not only lowered price targets, but downgraded Lucent at $50. And Kramer was up there just, you know, haranguing these analysts, you know, for downgrading to 50, this is the place to buy it. And then Lucent went to five. Yeah. So sometimes remember Nortel. That's, yeah. It was like the same thing. It went to that thing went to zero from 50. So he's haranguing self. Like, look, we all Netflix is not going. Dude, I'm not saying it is. But you can't. This is still an incredible business. No, there's new information. Sure. Some things when when things crack and, you know, I'm sure that's a great recurring revenue business. But like, you know, people have new information. They process it. They they move their price price targets accordingly. Brandon, do you think video games? I mean, we have this other tweet up on the screen that's probably worth just talking talking about for a second before we move on, that they seem like they're signaling that we're going to see something pretty meaningful. You want to read the second tweet? Yeah, sure. Um, Netflix CPO and COO Greg Peters told investors today that the company will likely license, quote, large game IP that people will recognize over the coming year. So Brandon, what does large game IP even mean? It basically means probably AAA content. That's it. Like if you're like talking, meaning buying from like an if EA, if like licensing a game, like, from sure. like what, I don't, why not? I mean, if you, I don't think it means frontline releases because we'll, and we'll talk about this when we get into the Activision Microsoft situation, but generally the frontline new releases do not find their way onto subscription services. It probably means catalog stuff. And I am sure that there is catalog stuff out there particularly stuff that is single player games that Netflix could get and highlight as part of their entertainment service that will interest people that people may have forgotten about or people that aren't really gamers might be interested in playing on PC or if they can connect their televisions um, with a controller. So sort of like the original Netflix video strategy of going in and getting library content that people may have not yeah. realized how much they enjoyed and then bringing it yes. and resurfacing it. Yes. It's basically rerunning yes. the Netflix playbook, but in gaming. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And also on mobile, if you look at what Apple has with Apple Arcade, there's it's a collection of mobile games in a subscription. They can, I know that Netflix is, you know, focused on, so on, um, sorry, mobile to start with, they could probably get similar games to that. So that's what you're talking about. Will, will it be that exciting though? I mean, it's, it's content that on its own wouldn't create a subscription service. Wouldn't be something that gamers would be interested in, but as part of a larger entertainment service where video is the primary um, is the primary form of entertainment as an incremental. Yeah. No one's going to subscribe for it, but they might start getting used to playing some games on Netflix, which is the start of unveiling their strategy at which they will bring first party games on at some point. Now, a while ago, Brandon, and this will be the segue into our next uh, slide. A while ago, you had written sort of like sort of the challenges facing the creation of a Netflix of games. Yep. Um, maybe that's the best way to sort of jump off here and connect the two of like, is that what this is about in terms of Activision and Microsoft? I think, well, there's a couple of things here with let's just kind of reset on on this deal. 
first of all, and we've been saying this for a long time, Activision had a really big problem because when you lose your employee base in a creative business, in a studio business, you pretty much have nothing. And not only were your employees revolting there, but they weren't able to recruit. That's the real reason that they haven't been able to get these frontline Blizzard games out. So something had to be done. Uh, This came down on Bobby. There was no replacement for Bobby within the organization, and it wasn't obvious who they could bring in from outside the organization. So clearly he was vulnerable to getting sold. That's number one. Number two is the reason Microsoft was able to buy this is because when you look at that $68.7 billion price tag, there were no real buyers out cash, there. Cash. It's well, cash, but even beyond cash, there were no real buyers out there besides Microsoft that could swallow the whole thing and also get through regulatory because, you know, you, Facebook or Meta, whatever the fuck you want to call it, isn't able to do deals now. It's very questionable whether Apple could do deals now. And they're still very nascent in figuring out what their strategy is um, on the games in the game space. Amazon probably wasn't going to be able to do this deal. Maybe, but probably not. Microsoft was the obvious suitor. The other thing that Microsoft has is Phil Spencer, who is one of the best execs in the gaming business is someone that not only players adore, but also um, talent adores. So if you're going to have someone come in and fix the studio, he was probably, or fix the collection of studios at Activision Blizzard. He was a guy who could do it. So Microsoft was a logical buyer. Now, why did Microsoft want this? Well, if you look at what their strategy has been, it has been subscription, the kind of democratization of um, of content and bringing um, AAA frontline content to as many people across the globe as possible on as many different devices and by making it as accessible, meaning cheap, as possible. And they really leaned into Game Pass as a strategy. The problem with Game Pass is that they couldn't get anybody to put their frontline releases into the subscription, which is what would really get the flywheel going and really attract subscribers. So they they had to buy it. And they bought ZeniMax last year. I think they went from like 18 million to 25 million subs. And now you're bringing in Call of Duty, which is the best-selling game most years, number one. Um, and you're bringing in all that Blizzard content. Hopefully nice. there will be frontline releases and Blizzard is actually on PC. So now you're disentangling Xbox from being just console and bringing it to, bringing it to every screen. So you're fulfilling all of your kind of goals or catalyzing them with this deal. This is obviously a very big transaction, a huge cash transaction. Um, it's a platform buying content. If, if vertical if, deal, yes. If, if I had said to you tomorrow, you know, if Comcast and NBC were separate, and I said to you, Comcast is buying NBC, my guess is the government would vomit on Comcast buying NBC 
in this environment? I don't I don't know, though, Rich. I mean, first of all, if you <laughs> this is very different because Comcast NBC is actually a small company in the eyes of the government at this point, as they focus on kind of these mega real mega cap companies, meaning the the apples, the Amazons. including, by the way, including Microsoft. The thing is, like, if you look back through regular- Microsoft's a massive company, yeah, like it no, fits it's... into these tech giants getting bigger and bigger. I don't know. I just but but is that a reason? Let's start with U.S. regulatory. And Walt knows more about regulatory than any of us. So I'm going to want really hope that he chimes in on this. But if I look at vertical and horizontal deals in the past, right, vertical deals, I cannot think of one time that a vertical deal was blocked. Usually there's concessions that are made, behavioral remedies. So an example of a behavioral remedy, which Microsoft already offered and agreed to, was to continue to sell Call of Duty and all these other games the way they have and allowing them on Sony. They're not going to take this and make it you know, only a, um, an Xbox thing. Um, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe they'll have to spin something off or divest something. Does King get divested? Yeah. When, when was a vertical deal ever blocked? Look, it doesn't happen often. I mean, obviously the government tried with, with AT&T Time Warner, they failed ultimately. And I think that's the, the big thing here is, is that you'd have to know that Microsoft's going to go to court. And so you'd have to figure out, you know, if you're the government, what are you going to do to attack this? What's the legal basis? And to be honest, we don't really know what the Biden DOJ looks like. No, I know. We really don't oh. have a you, feel. You do know what the FTC looks like. Well, we do, but this is not going to be an FTC transaction. So this is a DOJ deal. And Biden has more sway over the DOJ than he does over the FTC. So, and I'm not, I'm not saying I know the answer to this. Yeah. Um, I just feel like we, we honestly just don't know. And, um, I think there is part of this is also a cleanup, right? I mean, this is sort of, you know, this that's seems the like other it, thing. Like if you look at, I mean, it's also a horizontal deal, by the way. And if you look is, at market share on horizontal, sure. there's still, and the other Microsoft studios, there's still, you know, there's still the number three player at best, depending on how you want to break down the market. So let's, but let's put that aside. You're rescuing a company that had behaved poorly. Right. They're, they're... Not just behave, but that was problematic. And you're bringing it into a culture that is perceived as, you know, much better and will rectify the problems with broad support from consumers and the industry. Now, yeah, I'm not sure that's if a, you're, if you're so sure you going to fight answer, it. But... No, I know that. But you're you're talking about, ooh, like are tech giants becoming too big? Are they consumer unfriendly, like broadly, even though there's like not a lot of legal basis behind that? Um, well, there's there's reasons to think that this is actually consumer friendly. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I was trying and to think the other day, friendly. I was trying to think like, who's going to be the activist? Like who's going to be the grassroots organization that attacks this? And I just, I, I struggle Nobody. with that. I just, I struggle with that. Now, international is a whole other thing. And I do not understand like international MA regulatory standards. 
I mean, Facebook Giphy is kind of like the shining example. Like, why was that undone by the UK? I, I literally have no idea. No, it just shows you that there are certain companies in the crosshairs with the government that the government just hates right now. So just uh, to be an exact quote, because you were saying this is not DOJ or this is not FTC, this is DOJ. Um, this is a quote from this week from FTC Chair Lena Khan. Quote, the FTC and DOJ today are jointly launching, jointly launching a review of the merger guidelines to improve the yes. ability of antitrust agencies to assess unlawful mergers and enforce regulations. So to ignore yes. Lena Khan. And on digital, especially. You do Remember. that at your own risk. And good luck with that. Because <laughs> she is certainly taking and unlawful mergers. It's funny that you bring up Comcast NBC. Like. It's not just unlawful mergers announced, maybe ones that were previously approved. Right. Which gets into Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all of that. Oh, you think like Live Nation Ticketmaster is going to suddenly get I'm just saying there, like, I, it's it's kind of a whole new Come world. That, that's why when I look at Dish Direct TV, that is... That is a Disney know, song. Was that in purpose? That is not... A, what's a Disney song? A whole new Brandon? world. A whole new world. A whole a new, new song. world. I have the worst Easy. voice. Anyways, when, when we talk about Sorry. Dish I've Direct twice. When we see when we talk about Dish Direct TV, it's doubtful that that would get over to the FTC. And then if it's FCC and they have to go ALJ, the administrative law judge, which takes time to do. You know, I don't think the I think the FCC is more thoughtful about this and realizes that's a merge that can't improve. And if the DOJ did try and sue to have that transaction done or undone or or blocked, excuse me, then you're right. It goes to court, and then we'd see if they would win or lose. Which, in my guess, that they would they would lose. But I think in that case, the DOJ would be dealing more with with the FCC. In this case, I don't know. Like I don't know if you can ignore the FTC potentially getting involved. There was there was quotes, I think it was out of the FTC that they had spoken with Microsoft and that they it was very pot there was very positive um outcome to those conversations. Sure. Already. But it's just but again, it's like when we're trying to parse theory here, yeah, they're basically just saying big is bad. Another quote from the FTC yep. on Twitter, on the Twitter. Recent evidence indicates that many industries across the economy are becoming more concentrated and less competitive, imperiling choice and economic gains for consumers, yada, yada, yada. That's just saying concentration, size, M&A, just anti-size. Yep, completely. Just broadly, though, not concentration in an industry. We are a nation of laws, and we'll see if how much of this actually stands up. In but, court. but again, it doesn't. It may not even matter because of international, right? right. Let, but let's just let let we take two's making a big acquisition. A week later, Activision's being sold to Microsoft. It begs the one obvious question, Brandon: Where does this leave EA? Where does this leave? Excuse me, EA. Where does it leave EA? Okay, so you you want to talk about horizontal consolidation, or, or, or just I don't even well, know. Well, if you want to if you want to talk about tech giants, we just said none of these tech giants could probably buy anyone, and that's the most logical buyer of an EA if they I mean, want to have a competitive EA subscription service, you know, cloud gaming service, whatever. Although Google, I don't know where Stadia is or has gone. It's kind of like you know. So you're t- you're probably talking about getting bigger 
horizontally. There really isn't an obvious marriage partner for them right now, besides potentially Warners, if Zaslav decides that, you know, it's not it's not strategic for them to have. So you wouldn't look at Disney anymore. Because we used to talk about Disney being we used to talk about Disney because of FIFA and just sort of all of the franchises fit really nicely. I don't I mean, because it fits with sports. Right. And you're you're talking about ESPN. I think that if Disney is going to make a real move, though, then they probably want to think about kind of I hate to use this word, becoming a quote metaverse company and like a real 3D interactive platform. Okay. As opposed so who would to, they buy in that or who would they merge as, with as in opposed that to a, a game publisher? I mean, the big the big one that's out there is Epic. And everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, Tim Sweeney would absolutely never sell. Um, I don't know if that's true. Tim Sweeney's number one ambition is to make the metaverse a reality. And if he thought that merging with Disney could help catalyze that, I don't think he would necessarily be adverse to it. And you know that he has worked a ton with Disney. We've talked about the collaborations in Fortnite, um, whether it's in Marvel or Star Wars. He clearly has a lot of respect for that organization. That would be a big deal. Like we're talking about Disney and streaming now. Streaming's the present, right? But the the other piece of this is They want to look to the future. Sure. But the other piece of this that I think is interesting that ties to what you're saying is this is a pretty bold metaverse move by Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft now looks, you could argue Microsoft's one of the best positioned companies to build and, and you know, yeah, create sure. the metaverse. So how how can that or not be, impact the way Epic thinks about the world? Let's, like, you know, new like, information. Yeah. You, well, first of all, you talk about like building the metaverse. We're talking about building dominant platforms in 3D interactive, the dominant platforms yep. that will be the building blocks of the metaverse, which is how we think it's going to kind of go in this space before eventually everything comes together under standards in like 20 years, 15 years, whatever it may be. They were already kind of there, right? This just, I mean, think about the collection of assets that they have. This just catalyzes them that kind of untangling of Xbox, the the platform from Xbox, the hardware and building kind of like a separate 3D interactive platform, if you will, to marry with Minecraft and whatever. Um, you know, I they were already one of the key players. We just overlooked them and never really wrote about it because they didn't come out like Zuckerberg and be like, hey, we're changing our name to Meta, right? right? Or, you know, Tim Sweeney is out there talking about the metaverse all the time. Roblox defines themselves as a metaverse business. So they were already there. I don't think this changes anything necessarily, except that it catalyzes their ambitions. And Tim Sweeney knows that. He's studied this market way more than any of us. Should we switch gears to the home fitness metaverse? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, Rich. You're going to take it on the chin again today. I mean, this is just abuse Greenfield Day. But, um, Walter, why don't you start us off? I don't even know what this tweet is, but the bottom line is Peloton stock is getting crushed because there was <laughs> there was I'm not going to read these tweets because there was news reports about how they're stopping production. The CEO provided kind of a half denial. It didn't sound like a real denial. 
um, yeah, it's it's been a disaster. But we, we just I just wanted to bring this up because, and for my Twitter followers, I said I wanted to dig up. There was so many times when Rich was say, "Oh, you know, I was just listening to the Peloton. It reminds me of Netflix and the recurring revenue." But let's just play. Yeah, they definitely are a corollary today. <laughs> exactly, there is a correlation. <laughs> Just not the correlation um, we were looking for. But there is one good tweet for our podcast listeners from Zero Hedge. U.S. Steel should buy Peloton for all the scrap metal in inventory. <laughs> uh, as they say, let's go to the videotape. In this case, we'll go to the audio tape. From September of 2020. September 18th, 2020. Play. It's a lot of dusty whatever. treadmills in people's basements. There's a lot of dusty rowing machines in people's basements. Fitness is not new. It just but spending isn't. a... But I think when you have a monthly subscription, whether it's for Apple, but I think when you have a monthly subscription like (laughs) Apple or Peloton, you're more likely to use it because you're paying for it regularly versus the bike, which you buy once and it just sits there and you forget about. What's the churn? I just think there's a little behavior part of it that does help. (laughs) I I have to give myself props for that joke. Fitness would be new to me. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, since that look, look at these guns. Look at what I should have said at the time was. But I think we moved quickly on to the next topic: gym memberships as well. Uh, you know how 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 often do gym memberships churn? <laughs> so that obviously didn't make it sticky. Who knows where Peloton's going to end? Let's move on to the next topic. That was fun. And a great uh, well, the next topic is also sort of on US the, steel. The, the, the exactly. next the, the next one's sort of fun too because we've got a tweet from I don't know who this is Hammerstein Markets, but Hammerstone Hammerstone Markets. Uh, scratching our heads after Needham's Laura Martin. Fubo reiterated buy rating and cut price target to 15 from 60. Roku reiterated buy and cut price target to 205 from 340. Magnite MGNI, uh, for those that don't know it, reiterated buy and cut price target to 25 (laughs) from 70. But then the zinger is, this is not from The Onion. Um, (laughs) Do you you have that tweet that I, you can also go to my Twitter account. The royalty of retail herself. (laughs) I like Walter to, was I like, talking, Brandon. That's the head of the apes. He's cutting you off. He doesn't even understand it. He Ugh. doesn't even know. Sorry. Maybe, ahead, maybe the earphones are not feed. working. Please go um, ahead, Walter. In, in Twitter, I do in my bookmarks keep many tweets from people that have trolled us over the over the years. And I did for those who are interested. You can go to my Twitter feed. There was someone basically a, a clicked, you know, a blue check mark with lots of followers saying that Rich should be investigated by the SEC enforcement for his $8 price target on Fubo, citing the $60 Needham price target at the time in, in Fubo. As, which, by the way, as I recall, I think the reason the market caps were off is she had the wrong share count. Is that <laughs> accurate? She, she was literally using the wrong share count. Well done. Yeah, It took a year to come clean on that one. Next. Um, Next. On. <laughs> Walter Telenor. This is a tweet from the Telenor group, basically just saying that they've joined the AWS cloud. And if you go back to our top 22 for 22, this was uh, prediction number eight that Amazon would, in fact, add another um, global telco operator. So this is important. Like, again, it's under the radar, I think, but it's serious technology in that as people become, as operators move to cloud native, it's going to open up new uh, abilities for enterprise to develop application. I know it gets tied up to Dish, and people are speculative on, um, or or skeptical, excuse me, about Dish. But Amazon is putting a lot of resources behind this. 
this is a, a validating point. You've got um, Mobile World Congress coming up um, in a few weeks. I think Amazon's got some more, more to say about it there. And other proof points will be other telco equipment makers and software makers moving into Amazon's cloud for a full cloud native um, experience. So if this is this is great for this is a new vertical that's important for Amazon. So a great new revenue opportunity for AWS, um, but certainly a risk to some of the vendors out there uh, who can theoretically get virtualized and commoditized, and a benefit to those that adopted early, of which Dish is is one of those companies. So nice to check one off the list there. So what I look at is Brandon and I have each gotten one wrong in the last 10 days and you've gotten one right. Um, just, You're winning you know. on the scoreboard, Walt, but we are okay. a team. It's called picking but, up the slack. Yeah. yeah, Walt is definitely helping the team today for sure. All right, what's next? Um, next, we have um, sort of circling back to, you know, it sort of this relates back to streaming, but it's, it's interesting um, in terms of changes at Disney. So this is the streamable. It says Michael Paul promoted to president of Disney streaming, Joe Early, new president of Hulu and Rebecca Campbell, chairman of international content. I don't really, Michael Paul is a friend of the, of the shed. We, we really have a lot of respect for him, but I want to focus on the other two announcements because they're just sort of interesting. Um, one was this Joe Early to president of Hulu. So it's just interesting. Disney's taking the head of marketing for Disney plus and moving them to president of Hulu, a little strange, but might be just a fact of maybe there's just a placeholder. I mean, our, in our top 22 for 22, our, our prediction for Disney is they're going to buy Hulu in. So this may be a very temporary position. Um, and that's why they're putting sort of a head of marketing into that role. But then the one that's really interesting is this Rebecca Campbell. So Rebecca Campbell ran international theme parks for Disney for a little while under Bob Chapik. Then um, she was running the TV station group. She was sort of moved over to doing some D2C stuff. And now she's running the international content development at Disney. And it just, it, it strikes me as odd only because there's a tremendous list of content executives inside of Disney. And I just find it interesting that they chose sort of a non-content person to run international content. You know, it's like what Netflix has done is they've taken the head of international content, Bella, and made her the head of global content for the company. Disney's taking someone with no content expertise whatsoever and putting them in charge of what probably is the most important growth trajectory, which is localized content overseas. Yep. Just a very strange move that I can't, I can't figure out. I mean, clearly someone that Chapik has known for a long time going back to the theme parks, but seems like a very strange move that I can't wait for them to sort of explain um, they're doing an analyst day that they've moved off to March now, but I'm fascinated to sort of think about like, why was that with all of these content people inside the Walt Disney company, why was that the right move to make? And we said it about Netflix, right? Their international ambitions are going to come down to, can they find the right breakout content? Can they find yeah. the right content mix? You probably want someone who's an expert in content running that unless there's going to be lieutenants under her that are content experts. And she, you know, ulti like her decision is just being like a real CEO and managing those people. But it's a know, huge it job. Make a lot of it, sense to me. So we'll say. Um, why don't we move on to sports betting? Because this is just the amount of free money is incredible. You want to start, Brandon? 
I don't know who you either of you start because I know you both are sure. salivating I mean, over I mean, the free money here. I, I don't even know where to start because every single one of these tweets shows a different offer in um, for sports betting in New York. Uh, we could start with Caesar's Sportsbook, and maybe I won't read all of these, okay? Sound the bells, release the doves. Caesar's Sportsbook is here, New York. Download the app, sign up with code TWNEW and get a $300 free bet to wager with plus Caesar will match your first deposit with a free bet up to $3,000. Just focus on that part. That was the interesting part of it, that they're going to match $3,000 for your, for your first bet in, in the sports book, um, which is crazy. I mean, I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I don't know. Do you have to put that three thousand on one specific bet? I, mean, I don't even. Know, I think but so, I'm but definitely but trying you could hedge it. But you could hedge it, right? Because you just take the opposite bet, right? For sign up for your th- entire family. No, I mean, take a three thousand dollar opposite bet on a different sports book, and then you could sure. capture the three thousand. Then you go and sign up your entire family, and I know you have a very big family, Walt. <laughs> Most of them aren't eighteen, or some of them aren't. Um, but then you make like 15 grand, like right off the bat. Now, my, my favorite, that was a good one. And I'm, I think I'm going to execute on that one this weekend and I'll, I'll figure out what the loophole is on this and we'll report back next week. My favorite one though, for the Knicks fans that are out there of which I am not one was, um, FD sports book, I guess is offering a, a bet on the Knicks game specifically making them 192.5 point (laughs) underdogs. That they expect the promotion is going to cost them about five million dollars. Um, this is for FanDuel, I guess, right? So, are there any other interesting ones on there you want to highlight? Well, I, I mean, there there are a couple on here that aren't the exact promotions, right? So here it says Bet MGM CEO Adam Greenblatt is quote delighted with its New York online sportsbook launch, noting that Bet MGM broke quote all of its records for registrations deposits, and handle on a state-by-state basis. Moreover, New York ranked first in a key metric known as, quote, registration to deposit conversion. I wonder why. Yeah, I, <laughs> I bet you're making a deposit when there's like a $3,000 match. That's why when I read this, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Like, who, like who wouldn't deposit when those types of offers are out there? Like, it's just... Yeah, I will. Was, I, but like at the end there's of the no day, stickiness. there's no like, stickiness. There's are you sticky crazy. No, there's crazy competition. Everyone's throwing dollars around. All of them are advertising everywhere. Like, how do you play this as an investor? And I think you you kind of go back to this like MSG entertainment, right? But you because, stay away from the sports betting stocks because there's no winner in yeah, this. But, that's but, obvious. But the for thing now. is, I mean, we've shit on the RSN business a lot. But really? You better Wait, really you, you, <laughs> you better believe that MSG networks that their advertising business is growing gangbusters off of this. You already have one sponsorship deal announced. You know there's more coming. Plus, by the way, the whole like crypto sponsorship thing, you know that's coming into the fold there too. Add what? live events, like Yep, you well, pretty a, a, much set up for a really it, good year. But doesn't MSG MSG also benefits is that they're not caught up in this Sinclair shit show that we keep talking about. Like they're not exposed to this. Like that's Sinclair's problem in Diamond Sports. That whole challenge and issues and struggles that they're having. Yeah, MSG doesn't if, have to deal with that. If you look, at, if you look at the stock though, 
um, at this point, <laughs> like it's trading as if MSG Networks is a zero anyway. So <laughs> everything that they're actually kind of like all these tailwinds to, to MSG Networks plus to the rest of the business, right? It, it feels like there's only upside from here. Now, I know the Christmas spectacular was canceled. So because of the whole COVID outbreak among the cast. So Q4 is going to be tough. But if you look at this year, it actually under the radar sets up as a pretty good stock. Let's move on to um, maybe the least surprising tweet of the week. Uh, we've got Lucas Shaw saying, breaking on the terminal, YouTube scaling back its investment in original programming. Hence, Suzanne Daniels is departing. It will put that money into YouTube shorts and YouTube shopping. Um, the, the reason I say this is not surprising is I think everyone probably remembers Cobra Kai moving from YouTube originals over to Netflix and then becoming a huge hit on Netflix once it moved over. That was sort of the beginning of the end. And I, I just think that the takeaway is YouTube represents about 22% of connected TV time spent, has massive global mobile viewership. And they do that without investing in premium sort of traditional Hollywood content. They just don't need it. I mean, I just think that there's none of the content that YouTube has put on YouTube, you know, the premium content that they invested in with Suzanne, none of it moved the needle. It wasn't like more people started using YouTube or they spent more time on YouTube or there was more buzz about YouTube. There was no halo or benefit to that programming. It wasn't like Cobra Kai made YouTube right. better. Like you can look at Apple and say, the premium content actually is creating a sort of an interesting brand halo around the company in a very different way. Nothing was getting, like YouTube, it was just a pimple in, in, in a sea of content that I know. nobody cared about. The question is like, you look at like Apple one and like Google has their subscription service also that combines a bunch of things um actually a subscriber to that i mean maybe if they throw some or you know original programming in there does it kind of enhance the bundle a little bit doesn't need to be a complete video service but you know just just a little enhancement if you will to their subscription ambitions is that potentially helpful maybe that was a question I, no i mean i i was thinking about it i mean the answer is maybe I think the the problem is um, the problem is going to be, you know, how do you how do you get people to want to pay for for that content when there's just I mean well, there's infinite amounts of content on YouTube that people look at as premium. There's, there's infinite amount of content everywhere, Rich. That's isn't that kind of like the problem? Like part of the thing that Netflix is facing here. Sure. And all, and all of these other streaming services right now. Sure. Or, and even movie theaters, right? Like it's, it's all the same related problem is it's just an explosion of content at, you know, essentially lower and lower prices. Some of it subsidized by companies that Walt covers, right? Like, I mean, if you think about sort of the way the telcos are giving a lot of this stuff away for free, like there's just. Been... Oh, it's not just the telcos anymore, by the way. I <laughs> I oh, got, here we go. I got notification. Like I was looking through the Amex platinum benefits for this year. It's $15 a month off of streaming services. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That? That's, that's number which one. one, which one or anyone. 
Um, I think it's I I don't remember. I thought the, it was HBO Max, but maybe no, it no, no, no. It's it's no? it's not. There's a there's a group of them that that um, qualify. I should have hmm. taken note of which ones it was. I also got um, a notification from Citibank, um, which I know we're all down on Citibank, but I think you get twelve fifty a month towards streaming services from Citibank. I could basically mm-hmm. pay for all my streaming services for free between my city account, my Amex Platinum, and my like Verizon account. I could Don't worry, they'll make, they'll make that money back by nickel and diming us for every single wire or check or phone uh, call yeah, or I anything know. we do with them. So <laughs> I know city. I don't think you're coming worse. out ahead with the city on that one. I know. If you're a subscriber, you, one day soon you might have a new uh, new place to wire your money. <laughs> <laughs> the place that you probably should have put your money, though, Brandon, um, instead of into the market or into crypto, it probably should have been bored apes based on what's continuing to happen in this environment. Sort of crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's it's interesting. NF. NFTs are continuing. Like NFT wallet growth is continuing, even as you've had this kind of sell-off in crypto, have had this or broader crypto in crypto markets, as you've had this sell-off, especially in the NASDAQ. Um, and I guess there's a couple of different things here. Uh, from Joe Pompliano, NFTs had a pretty big day. Twitter profile pictures, Facebook and Instagram now adding NFTs. And Neymar spent a million dollars on board apes. And Neymar tweeted that out. By the way, Neymar has like, what, 55 million Twitter followers? This is like as big of an endorsement of the NFT space as you can get. Um, and NFTs are becoming the new PFPs. Like pretty broadly. I just ask a question. Um, so we hear a lot about bored apes, but and you're saying that they've held up better than crypto in the market. Do you have stats on on the broad value of NFTs? Because my impression of this is like great, bored apes is let me finish, is a nice community. And you know, there's interest there, and it was first, and maybe that survives, but maybe 95% of these other NFTs are gonna be at zero in a month or three right. months or or a year. Totally agree. I totally agree with you. Um, there are, it, it's, it's, it's a little wider than that. I'm sorry that I didn't buy a, do- I was looking at doodles. <laughs> Don't laugh. I really like the doodles. So um, several months ago, didn't buy one. The price on those is exploding. There's, there's a, there's actually a ton of projects that have real traction now. Um, is it a fad? I don't think the idea of unique digital ownership um, is a fad just like, no, I didn't say it's a fad, but I, just, I was just questioning this concept that because we know of one or two that are you're talking, that are doing right. well, that you're, cause we obviously have a way to most are not doing well. Okay. Thank you. If you bought but, NBA top shots, you are not, you know, six months but, ago, you're not making money. Okay. okay. But the overall market the wallet growth, which I think is the most important stat, actually, because that tells you what the acceptance of NFTs are in general, mm-hmm. looks like this and is continuing to grow. And if you look at the OpenSea statistics, I think from you know thus far in January, like blows away. Like, but when you say wallet, twenty twenty value, of, you're talking about the value of assets. Number. Of, I'm talking. Well, both. I'm talking about both the 
value of the assets and the number of wallets that hold NFTs. Okay, so let's just focus on the value of assets because I think that has some similarities to the market where a lot of people yep. would would have argued that the S&P was only down 100 basis points, but when people had stuff in their PA that was down 50%. So if the value of the overall market is only down 200 basis points, is it really healthy because Apple and net and uh, excuse me, Tesla and a couple of these things have held up. Is that a healthy? Is that def- that defines a healthy NFT market because no few are just propping up the overall value. No, that's why I look at wallet growth, and yeah. I think that's most important because again, I think it's like with crypto adoption, it's about getting as many people interested in Web three and owning digital assets as possible. And that continues to expand. And when you have evangelists out there, like a Neymar or a Reese Witherspoon, who tweeted about it yesterday, that helps bring it to the broader population. And I I think that's the most important thing for crypto broadly right now. The flip side of that is the flip side of that is that Robinhood and other exchanges got people broadly into the market. And now these people that bought fucking GMA at $300 are sitting at it a hundred and they're sitting. So while the, the wallet may be there, you may have burned those fucking people out of the market, whether it's in, in, you know, this, these bullshit memes that they were buying yeah. or some of the NFTs, if, if they bought an NFT, that's now worth, you know, 20% of the value of what they paid for it. I'm not sure that that's a positive experience. That's good for that ecosystem. Yeah. But if you're buying in nft and you know most people can't afford to be a part of the club that is crypto punks or bored apes or doodles or you know any of these like cool cats whatever it may be but if you're out there buying just stuff you're you're interested in that speaks to you and using that as your profile picture because it's unique to you I mean, then, I, then, I, then it's not about speculation. It's about adoption. I agree with you on, on that is a component of it. Community is obviously a big component of it, but that's like arguing that someone that bought AMC was buying it to stick it to the man when the reality is they were fucking greedy that they wanted to buy I think a there stock was a little, I think up. there was a little of both. You can't there. say that the NFT purchasing that was, I'm not, no, no, no. I'm not talking about community necessarily on NFT. Part of it is community and part of it is identity. And by identity, I mean, owning a unique digital asset and representing yourself through that identity also ties to community. I want to be a part of this collection because, you know, I want to, I don't know. Right. So I would relate to other people, those number of wallets that you're referencing to, there's a high percentage of them. I don't know what it is, but there's a higher percentage than I think that you're representing of speculators in your, your comment that are people that are just buying it because like shit was going up. And I agree. Now, now that that shit's going down because those people were fucking posers, they couldn't afford a board ape and they're buying all the, what the, the shit coin version of NFTs. And now they're down 80%. They're going to abandon those wallets and become very bored of it and move on to the, whatever the next meme is. We'll see, unless you really believe that digital asset ownership is here to stay (laughs) and that people are going to own like everything in i think i do world okay i do but not 
necessarily as that broadly <laughs> um, as that, you know, they're at the high end for sure. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's, it's flex, right? It's all about flex. It is. So yeah, that's, the I high, mean, that's not broad. Like I'll that's, admit, I'll admit that with, like with, with the board ape thing. It is for sure. Like Jess said to me um, this morning, I think I was bitching about not buying the doodles. She's like, she's like, basically what the board apes is, is Soho house um, for even like an even smaller elite group yeah. of, of people. It's just, I mean, she was like, it's just, you know, you like white males, you know, flexing um, yeah. your wealth. And like, that's all like board apes is. You know, she was obviously like putting it down, but um, yeah, I think there, I think there's part of that. I think that if you look at asset ownership in general, in the physical world, there are assets that people own to flex. Like, why do you buy a fucking Ferrari? Right. Or or wear certain clothes. Um, But there is other ways than a broadening of wallets. That's, that's my point. No, no, but that, but that's one component of physical ownership right there's other components it's like i don't know i sneakers. like sneakers yeah, sometimes like i have a lot of sne- i have expensive sneakers as you yeah. know but i also have a bunch of sneakers that aren't that i just like the style and that like represent you know or how i want to represent myself i don't know like it's identity it's identity that- you call it identity. I call it subconsciously flex. So that's like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, a but it's but it's but it's, but it's not a it whatever it's you not want. A, yeah. it's, but that's not a dollar flex, right? It's just it's I, how I want to represent. Those sneakers cost four hundred dollars. Some of them okay, do, and some of them don't. We're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, we some of them s- cost more than that, by the way, Walt. <laughs> We've got a People Magazine tweet, Spotify to launch Coco Melon Storytime podcast featuring education on beloved tales. The reason I have this in here is like the one category that really hasn't taken or that we really haven't seen in terms of different parts of podcasting is kids. And we we keep talking about sort of as podcasting stills in the early stages. What's particularly interesting about this is it's happening with the company that Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs just bought. And they're doing it with Spotify where Tom Staggs is on the board. So like just sort of interesting sort of candle media company we've been spending more and more time on as they make acquire everything in production is now looking for new ways of exploiting that content. Um, sort of podcasting, sort of a category that you haven't seen really in the kids category become big yet. Yeah. Just sort of interesting. I mean, what's podcasting? It's on demand audio, right? Correct. <laughs> so why not have on demand you know, bedtime stories for kids. It would be a lot easier for me than reading my niece, you know, the same book like seven times in a row. (laughs) Again, (laughs) just just interesting. (laughs) We haven't really seen anyone attack this category. I don't know how big or not it is, but it's just interesting that, you know, Spotify is looking to capture more time per day, more people per household. If you sort of think about how all of the, you know, the tech companies, this is a way of just expanding engagement to a part of the household that they really haven't touched to date. On the exact opposite ends of Coco Melon and podcasting, we have UFC. Brandon. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Now you forgot how to say this. You literally yeah. forgot. That's why you're pausing. You're literally stuttering because you don't remember how to say his name. 
But then you read it, Rich. Then we can laugh at you and pretend that you don't know how to pronounce the guy's well, name. I have no idea. <laughs> I'll Francis. read it. Francis Nagayu says he won't fight under current contract beyond UFC 270, whatever that means. Brandon, before you get into the UFC thing, let me just yep. say to our listeners that a few weeks ago on the podcast, I was, you know, I was <laughs> speculating that the fight between Jake Paul and um, whoever the CEO is of Dana, White. Dana, Dana White. White, that was a fake fight. Um, a podcast listener sent me some videos that they're clearly that is not a fake fight. And I didn't realize <laughs> what the hell was going on at UFC about how they're not paying these fighters. It's, it is absurd based on some of the videos that I've seen about how little these people make. And they're paid for these fights um, anyway. So I just wanted to, I don't want to say apologize, but just cite that like I was speaking with not complete information and I fully retract the concept that that is a fake fight. And I think Jake Paul is actually has some interesting things to say. I can't believe I'm saying that because I think that guy's crazy, but like, look, props oh to Jake God. Paul for uh, calling out the bullshit that's occurring at UFC. Thank you, Brandon. Now you can go on. I can't believe you just gave Jake Paul credit. I can't believe it either. I, I literally cannot believe we'd ever. Get I actually even saw another video of Jake Paul where he was some guy was coming up to him asking for him to work for him. He's like, dude, just go and network with people. I actually passed some of Jake Paul's advice on to my kids about like, you know, how to try and succeed. Anyway, I digress. by the way, Jake Paul has a startup now um, that <laughs> we looked at on the venture side a couple of weeks amazing ago. i don't even know did you did you know about that one no so uh, yeah it's it's pretty funny um here's the bottom line with engano though if you look at these contracts in ufc most of the time like you didn't have a situation where it got to the end of the contract and the renewal of said contract was kind of up for debate. It turns out he has this title fight now. If he wins the title fight, then his contract will automatically renew. If he loses, then he becomes a free agent. Oh, and where can I wants, make that wager? Uh, no, yeah, exactly. By the way, if he does lose and become a free agent, he said he wants to fight Tyson Fury in boxing. Oh so why the and fuck he will he just take a more, dive? He will make more money doing that than the renewal of his UFC contract. Oh, I'm, so the 100% way, the, taking the dive there then, right? I mean, like, that's a no-brainer. I don't know. I mean, I, it sounds like he's financially incentivized to, right? Based on everything I've heard about UFC, why would you I know, not want Walt, to get out I know of that what, ecosystem? I know what you're doing with your $3,000 <laughs> matching. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a no, <laughs> that is a no-brainer. Oh my god! Uh, okay, now we've got on these things of, in terms of how quickly he will dive. <laughs> uh, Rich, you could take the uh, next one. We got Adam Masseri, who uh, heads Instagram, says subscriptions, and he's got sort of like party hats. Subscriptions <laughs> allow creators to monetize. Party emoji? Become... No, that's that's yeah. confetti. That's the oh, con confetti. That's confetti. Sorry. That's a, no, that's a party hat. That the I think it's party hat and confetti. Hey, whatever, whatever I'm trying to troll. Everyone knows the emoji. When I type in confetti, I'm pretty sure that's the one I get because I use that a lot when I'm trolling T-Mobile people with all the confetti cannons that they do on their earnings calls. Subscriptions anyway, allow creators to monetize and become closer to their followers through exclusive experiences. Subscriber live, subscriber stories, subscriber badges. We hope to add more creators to this test in the coming months, more to come. So look, it's it's clearly Facebook trying to and responding to giving creators more ways to make money. I mean, I think a big theme in the last 12 months was 
all of the platforms trying to incentivize creators, whether that's Snapchat or Twitter, or everyone's trying to help creators make money. They're all, you know, once Patreon took off all of a sudden. So everybody is trying to play nice to creators. Everybody wants the creators on their platform versus somebody else's. I still think the thing that, you know, we've talked about a little bit before is most creators are really strong on one platform. And so, you know, you can try to suck creators from one platform to another by offering them more tools and more things like this. It's not clear that this is going to, you know, this certainly will help creators monetize on individual platforms. I'm not sure that this gets a a big TikTok creator to come over to Instagram or vice versa. Like, I still think that you're still sort of tied to one platform. but, But Rich, if you are an Instagram creator, then you stay with Instagram possibly as opposed to going out to Patreon. So at least they're locking down their talent. They're keeping more time spent and more revenue inside of the Facebook empire, essentially. Empire, the evil empire. I I think that's what some people would call it. Uh, Let's go to our last slide because I think we've all been irritated by this. Walter, please read. This is from Conrad Hackett. (laughs) And the the Twitter poll was, do you want to see your Twitter friends Wordle results? 73% responded no. So if you are a listener and you're posting your Wordle results to your friends group chat, which I have in my group chat or on Twitter, please stop. No one cares. No one wants to know. Just stop. Thank you. It won't matter in two weeks anyway. I know, but you're embarrassing yourself by posting these. I haven't even played Wordle yet. I feel like I'm not in the know having not even played it. Should I be playing Wordle? I I don't. I refuse to because I'm so irritated by these people texting this into my group chats that I will 100% boycott that. Sorry. Before we. Not on my lawn. Before we tune out on episode 90, should we make just make it clear that this is episode 90 and not episode 89? Is that, you, is that the case? Yes, yeah, it's ninety. It's ninety. It's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It just no it just shows, you know. It just you know. Sorry about that. It's just that the numbers get bigger. It gets more confusing. Wait till we get to triple digits. We're definitely gonna uh, fuck that up. I, we're gonna have to celebrate it to when we get to a hundred. This is my this is my bet. Big question. Uh, you didn't even want to do the first five. I we know. had to beg you to do the first five. Remember that, Walt. Oh, well, no one's listening. I'm Nobody cares. Any, any podcast where Brandon uses his microphone makes me happier. If you've noticed the podcast listeners, I'm less grumpy on days than Brandon's using his, his microphone. Facts. Um, Giants just made a GM hire, Joe Shane. Is that good or bad? I don't know. People seem to love him. He helped build the, the bills. Um, so that's number one. Infinite content. Infinite content. <laughs> seems to be the perfect outro song. This is my big question. Do you think that there's, well, I don't know what happened there, but here's my question for you. Do you that was think, the end of the song. Oh, that, that was, was the, the end, end of the, of the song. song. It's, like, it's a short song. That's the problem. Uh, infinite so content, just... infinite content. Do you think there's anyone who's like listened to every minute of all 90 podcasts? Definitely not. <laughs> We should put a $5 bill at the end of this one for the first 10 people that respond. All right. Have a great great weekend, weekend, everyone. That's episode 90. Bye.